you remember the good old days when all you had to worry about was getting your homework done and getting home before curfew? Before you had to worry about jobs, projects, working, when you could long for a summer vacation and a winter break? Well, this is the podcast for when you realize that life can be hard. Hold on one moment. <sighs> Finally, he's gone. The last thing I need to hear is him plugging another podcast. Come take a listen to my show, Adulting Ain't Easy, every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 17 of Poor360, the show that covers topics of importance and topics that I think are worth sharing. I am your host, as always, Andrew Porno. Thank you for joining me here on this fine Tuesday we are in. Now, when I was trying to prepare what to talk about for this show, I was trying to think of something that's worth devoting an episode to, and I kind of came up with the idea that the show was originally, well... When I got into podcasts, it was originally a form to talk about the news, talk about headlines, what was going on, and then I tried to mix it up and do some entertainment news and then political news, and then I moved on to this, which is topic-based, which does get into the news, but it's not solely reading news articles, even though it does come up quite often. And what I was thinking about that today, and as I was preparing the episode, was that we live in an age where all of this information is shared constantly with social media with what we're exposed to through like google news through facebook twitter all of that that there we're in such abundance that things that you think are going to be big news end up overlooked in the next day like you've seen the for people to keep up with like what's going on with like the trump administration what's going on there how things just seem to blow over things that would be debilitating to a presidency 20 years ago 10 years ago five years ago and how they seem to be forgotten days later. Even with the Mueller investigation, which was supposed to be a big bombshell report, it's came and went, and nothing's really happened. Yes, there's still stuff going on in the background, like Barnock testifying. Sorry, my cat's trying to play on the table. Um, like Barnock testifying about the report and all of that, but it's really fell into the backwater. People who have been praising it and going out there and saying like this will be the end all this will end the trump presidency and it's came and went and yes i know it's there's chunks that are redacted and though the report didn't firmly say one way or another about collusion Barr said there wasn't grounds for collusion so this is kind of a a dead issue so to speak so what we so it kind of got me to thinking what is going on with this news cycle? We're, we live in an age of 24-hour news cycle, even more so than it was before cell phones and before social media when, yes, there was 24-hour news cycle, but it was limited to TV, newspaper, all of that. Like, you guys, you can turn on CNN or you can turn on C-SPAN or you can turn on MSNBC and you can watch news any hour of the day and there's something on. But in the age of social media, it's become tenfold on that because people are sharing articles without proper resources. They're spreading information as things snowballs and snowballs and 
things get out of the way, and then things get forgotten. Because if I put an article out at 1 p.m., it'll get shared around, and then someone will post an article on 2 p.m., and that'll become the new article to share. And then it's just it's buried down. So something that could be big news in a slower news cycle or in where nothing else is coming at us as fast, these things will be bigger news, but things just get blown over easily. So that's what I want to talk about today, which is the 24-hour news cycle. Now, you know, I've kind of explained it. It's pretty short. So the 24-hour news cycle is 24-hour investigation reporting of news. Uh, concomitant? With fast-paced lifestyles. The vast news resources available in recent decades have increased competition for audience and advertiser attention, prompting media providers to deliver the latest news in the most compelling manner in order to remain ahead of competitors. Television, radio, print, online, and mobile app news media all have many suppliers that want to be relevant in their audience and deliver news fast. Although all news radio operated for decades earlier, the 24-hour news cycle arrived with the advent of cable television, channels dedicated to news, and brought about a much faster pace of news production with an increased demand for stories that could be presented as continual news with constant updating. This was a contrast with the day-by-day pace of the news cycle of printed daily newspapers, a high premium of fast reporting would see further increase with the advent of online news. A complete news cycle consists of the media reporting on some event, followed by the media reporting on public and other reactions to their reports, the advent of the 24-hour cable and satellite television news channels, and in more recent times, a news source on the World Wide Web, including blogs, considerably shorten this process. Now, according to former journalists Bill Kovac and Tom Rosendiel, a 24-hour news creates wild competition among media organizers for audience share. This, coupled with the, with the profit domain of their corporate ownership, has led to the decline in journalistic standards. In their book, Warp Speed, America in the Age of Mixed Media, they write that the press has moved towards sensationalism, entertainment, and opinion, and away from traditional values of verification, proportion, relevance, depth, and quality of interpretation. The fear of these values will be replaced by a journalism of assertion with de-emphasized whether a claim is valid and encourages putting a claim in the arena of public discussion as quickly as possible. You can see this from the uh, the tagline for Fox News, which was, we report, you decide. Which means, we're going to put it out there, whether you choose to believe it as fact or not, is on you. So, one thing I found kind of interesting, I was kind of digging into this, I found a couple of articles that are worth discussing, is that, yeah, like I said, things come out, and then seem to blow over with relative ease. Yes, when then something's big... Or it's constant. Like, between now and 2020, we are going to get pretty regular coverage of the presidential election. It's a big news source. But, if you're not a big person, if you're not someone who has something come out, you get quickly buried. Like, I know there's like, I feel like there's like 30 people running for uh, the Democratic uh, side of the president. Uh, Democratic candidates, sorry. It's been a long day today already. But you'll find that you could probably approach someone on the street and they might know a handful, three, four, five, some of which ran previously. Like, you could name Joe Biden because, yes, he's the former president's VP. You could name Bernie Sanders because he was in the 2016 election. And then you could maybe name, like, Kamala Harris or Pete uh, Booty. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. The, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who somehow thinks... He, because of his experience, that he gets, can get elevated to the highest office in the land, which I know that someone without any prior office experience on it, but it's 
seems weird that a pretty much a mayor who went from like 50 no I don't even know if he did like he went from like a couple hundred followers on Twitter to now like millions it doesn't make sense to me like and I haven't heard anything really compelling about his his opinions what he stands for I haven't done any extra digging on it but it, it seems like he's just in vogue more than he's a quality candidate. So, I don't know. I need to dig into that, but it's still too soon. I'm sure more people are going to another race, some people are going to drop out of the race, and it really doesn't matter until we get into the debate scene when people start, when we see the them actually start discussing things against each other. We can start seeing platform points, and more than that, they're just now just trying to stay in the conversation than it is to actually put good ideas out there. And if you have good ideas, if you don't get the traction, then it doesn't matter. Because in the age of 24-hour news cycle, if it's not catchy enough, it just disappears. Because they're not going to report on something that no one's going to care about. Like, I could run and say, we will I don't know, lower the GDP 3% over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. It's not a flashy title. They're not going to care. And I don't think that'll actually do any good. It's just a really weird claim. And I digress. Um... But you can see that they need flash subjects, and I think part of it is like, oh, like I remember seeing a bunch of traction, at least for a couple of days when Joe Biden said something about not having empathy towards young people, and then that got around for a while, and then I don't think I've seen anything today about it, so I think it's it's over with now, but that got attention because if you anger someone, or it causes someone, if you make someone upset it gets more traction beyond the news people sharing. Yes, the news people share it, but that's how it catches it. And then you get a person has to share it to tell another person, another person. Then you see this kind of this epicenter form, and then it just branches out from there. And and then it and it di- and then it dies off in the center, and then the branches kind of die off after that. And that's how a news cycle f- informs, in my opinion, and how it goes away. Now my cat's deciding to pull cat food out of Max's bowl. Animals are weird, guys. What can I say? So... Now here's um, here's a fun thing. This is uh, an article from How Stuff Works. I believe they also have a podcast, which I think is good to check out. But it's, it says, How have 24-hour news stations affected society? In the beginning, there was Cronkite, and it was good. The mighty Walter was the most trusted man in America, and the CBS Evening News in Southern Asia got its daily dose of current events. Faster than waiting until, it became, until tomorrow morning in, in the paper. Then there was Ted Turner's cable news network, CNN, which... Flicked on its broadcasters in 1980. Suddenly, news producers needed to fill not only one half-hour time slot, but 48 of those of these time slots every day. Is there really that much going on in the world? The answer is a resounding no, at least not 24-7. And so, for the first time, CNN allowed viewers to tune in live to see if a schnauzer could be pulled from a truck stuck in floodwaters. Or more precisely, it allowed viewers to watch O.J. Simpson speeding down an L.A. freeway in a white Ford Bronco. O.J. made the network in a... Made network leads to imitators. Fast forward to 2011, MSNBC, Fox News, and the other 24 cable news stations now compete for viewers. But with these channels limited by the same world events over the same time period, how is a cable news station to elbow its way into most households? The answer in part is sensationalism. MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News report the same news, but that doesn't mean they report the same stories. And while news is limited by the size of an event, a story is limited only by the size of cable news producers' imaginations. If ever the axiom, go big or go home, applies, it's in the realm of cable news. 
And so in this 24-hour news cycle, overblown stories reign supreme. The world of overblown news is a scary one indeed. Every day the sky is falling, and then miraculously we wake up and find that it has not yet fallen, but that today will surely be the day. But what happens when even more competitors get involved? Now we have cable news for the internet. So what we talked about on the previous... This is... Other episodes. So what we talked about before is what happens when cable news stations start snapping at each other's jugulars. But with today's technology, the fight has gotten even fiercer. Along came the internet, the same news junkies who used to turn to 24-hour cable news to get the minute-by-minute updates have now defected to the internet for second-by-second news. You can get exactly the news you're looking for faster online, so why watch cable news? The answer is opinion. You can get the what much faster online, but it's tricky to get the how and the why, plus the fun commentary of what you would think and what you should do about it. So a 24-hour cable news necessarily started borrowing the tricks of a 24-hour talk radio. It became not only sensationalism, but also opinionated. Sensational opinions are polarizing. Does cable news make you shout hallelujah or opposite, less churchworthy exclamations? No longer is there much room in the middle. No matter your political affiliations, you're sure to find an opinion you agree with and one that makes you cringe. Due in no small part to cable news, the distance between right and left in American culture has grown, and the factions are mad. Interestingly enough, this culture of opinion journalism that now provides the backbone of the cable news station's ratings may also prove to be their downfall. Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in America and was therefore the face of the news. But can any one of the many current cable news anchors make the same claim to trustworthiness? I personally don't think so. But what can you what can you say about that? And that gets us into kind of sensationalism, which we'll circle through and then we'll kind of circle back to some other stuff I had found. Now, I'm going to Google sensationalism because when you don't know how to explain something first, you usually go to Google, and it gives you the fun definition. So, sensationalism is a type of editorial bias in mass media in which events and topics and news stories and pieces are overhyped to present biased impressions on events, which may cause a manipulation to the truth of a story. Sensationalism may have reported about generally insignificant matters and events that do not influence overall society and biased presentations of newsworthy topics in a trivial or tabloid manner contrary to the standards of professional journalism. Some tactics include being deliberately obtuse, appealing to emotions, being controversial, intentionally emitting facts and information, being loud and self-centered, and acting to obtain attention. Trivial information events are sometimes misinterpreted and exaggerated as important or significant, often include stories about the actions of individuals and small groups of people, the content of which is often significant and irrelevant relative to the macro-level day-to-day events that occur globally. Furthermore, the content and subject matter typically affect neither the lives of the masses, nor society instead is broadcast and printed to attract viewers and readers. Samples include press coverage about the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal, Casey Anthony trial, Tanya Harding's role in the attack of Nancy Kerrigan, the Alain Gonzalez affair on the O.J. Simpson murder case. Now... One presumed goal of sensational reporting is to increase or sustain viewership or readership, from which media outlets can price their advertising higher to increase their profits based on higher numbers of viewers and or readers. Sometimes this can lead to a lesser focus on objective journalism in favor of a profit motive, in which editorial choices are based upon sensational stories and presented to increase advertising revenue. Additionally, advertisers tend to have a preference for their products or services to be reported positively, positively in mass media which can contribute to bias in news reporting in favor of media outlets protecting their profits and revenues, rather than reporting objectively about stated products and services. 
However, newspapers have a duty to report and investigate stories related to political corruption. Such investigative journalism is right and proper when it is backed up with documents. Interviews with responsible witnesses and other primary sources, journalists and editorials are often accused of sensationalizing scandals by those whose public image is harmed by the legitimate reporting of the scandal. News organizations are not obliged to, and are often ethically obliged not to, avoid stories that might make local, state, and national public figures uncomfortable. Occasionally, news organizations mistakenly relay false information from unreliable, anonymous sources use mass media as a tool for retaliation, defamation, victim and witness tampering, and monetary or personal gain. Therefore, any story based on sources who may be reasonably assumed to be motivated and act in this way is best interpreted with critical thinking. In extreme cases, mass media may report only information that makes a good story without regard to the factual accuracy or social relevance. It's been argued that the distrust in government that arose in the aftermath of the Watergate scandal create a new business tactic for the media and result in the spread of negative, dishonest, and misleading news coverage of American politics. Such examples include the labeling of a large number of political scandals, regardless of their importance, with the suffix gate. Such stories are often perceived rightly or wrongly as a politically partisan or biased towards it or against a group of individuals because of the sensational nature in which they are reported. A media piece may report on a political figure in a biased way or present one side of an issue while deriding the other. It may include sensational aspects such as the zealots, doomsayers, and or junk science. Complex subjects and affair are often subject to sensationalism. Exciting and emotionally charged aspects can be drawn out of out without providing the elements needed, such as pertinent background, investigator, contextual information, for the audience to form its own opinion on the subject. So, in broadcasting, sensation is often blamed for the infotainment style of many news programs on radio and television. According to sociologist John Thompson, the debate of sensationalism used in the mass medium of broadcasting is based on a misunderstanding of its audience, especially the television audience. Thompson explains that the term mass, which is connected to broadcasting, suggests a vast audience of many thousands, even millions of passive individuals. Television news is restricted to showing the scenes of crimes rather than the crime itself because of the unpredictability of events. Whereas newspapers write, or newspaper writers can actually recall what they did not witness. Television news writers have no room have room for fewer words than the newspaper counterparts. Their stories are measured in seconds, not column inches, and thus, even with footage, television stories are inherently shallower than most newspaper stories, using shorter words and familiar idioms to express ideas which newspapers' writers are more free to expand upon and define with precision. Now, there's a few things, a few examples I have just from what I've witnessed regarding this. I think the most recent one that's not really political involved uh, an art, a topic I talked about uh, a couple weeks back, which was the fire at Notre Dame. So the big cathedral in Paris that had major damage due to a fire caused by... Um, they haven't fully, at least the investigation, at least that I have seen, but it looked to be related to the restoration of the roof and the construction going on up there. So, simple mistake, but as you can know in this day and age, when something big, something tragic happens like that, it can definitely get sensationalized. There are people talking about that it was uh, terrorist-based, that it was protest-based because of those protesters go happening in Paris right now and at that time as well. And all it takes is someone to say share a snippet like that for it to get traction, and then maybe a news 
organization will see it and share it and then maybe retract it later, but it already catches fire that way. That's how we see sensationalism catch hold, especially in this 24-hour news cycle that we exist in. So we can kind of see how these things can affect us. And we even see the trial by perception. As we've seen with people who are committed, who catch the media's attention through act. Like, we saw it with James Gunn. When his social media account by a right-wing news person started spreading that around, it caught fire. And it became news. And it became a trial by perception, by opinion. There was no court. There was no... It was just a trial by the public opinion. And that's all that matters. In an age where people care more about advertising potential and making money, even if the sources say this is 100% wrong, if people are willing to believe a lie or believe a misinformation, then they have to go with it because then they're seen... Otherwise, they're seen as the negative. So... One thing I found that was kind of linked to the 24-hour news cycle was this Filer-Faster thesis. So the Filer-Faster thesis is a thesis or supported argument in modern journalism that suggests that the increasing pace of society is matched by and perhaps driven by journalists' ability to report events and the public's desire for more information. So that is credited to Bruce Feiler, or Feeler, and is, was first defined by Mickey Cross on February 24th of 2000. Costfly's blog post and Slate Online Magazine articles Faster Politics Momentum Ain't What It Used To Be, an article published two weeks later on March 9th, 2000, Cost gives the theory of the name Filer Faster Thesis. In the original article, Cross describes two trends, the speeding up of the news cycle and the compression of the schedule of primaries for the 2000 U.S. general election. Cost wrote, Filer's point is that we should put these two trends together and that then when we do, trend one considerably softens the impact of trend two. Cause used observation to reassess the concept of momentum in politics, suggesting that there are now simply more opportunities to turn a fortune and the voters are able, for the most part, to keep up. So, the second interpretation is the news cycle is much faster these days. Thanks to a 24-hour cable, the web, a metastasized punt case, con- uh, constantly searching for new angles. As a result, politics is able to move much faster, too, as our democracy learns to process more information in a shorter period and process it con- comfortably at the faster pace. So we're just inundating ourselves with so much information that it makes things intense. It causes these peaks and valleys of the news that we're dealing with. So kind of what it goes on in this application is based on James Gleick's 1999 book, Faster, which makes the argument that the pace of Western society in general, and American society in particular, is increased, and that a compression of time characterized the life of the century now closing. Uh, Glick or Glyke, uh, documents the way technology speeds up work and the time people spend doing various tasks, including sleeping. He points that we have learned to keep efficiency in mind as a goal, which means that we have drive ourselves hard. Uh, Glyke's character is that some of us say we want to save time, we really just want to do more. These is sometimes misinterpreted as merely describing the shortening of a news cycle, which is actually covered as a part of Glyke's original observation. Klaus recognized the difference between 2005 posting the FFT, remember, doesn't say the information moves with breathtaking speeds these days. Everyone knows that. The FFT says that people are comfortable processing that information with what seems like breathtaking speed. I remember, like I said, when the we had that fire at the cathedral. All I could do was I was seeking out more and more information. I was going to Twitter. I was looking at people posting it. 
it was trending. I hit, I clicked on that trend link, and then anyone sharing any information about that popped up instantly. And I was scrolling through that, and I was finding something. I was following that down. And I saw things that were quickly, that could be debunked later, but I was seeing live footage that people were taking. I was taking in so much information that someone could easily put a fake post out there, and then I'm absorbing that. That's, it's not avoiding it. It's like when you're trying to avoid spoilers. Let's say the big thing people right now that I've been trying to avoid, which has been a pain in my ass to chew, is involving Game of Thrones spoilers. I luckily avoid it with Endgame, but people have a bad habit of when they find something that they don't like or find something that upsets them or they can't, they're just awed by what happens that they shite to share it out there. In the age of social media, in the age of everyone's opinion matters, so let's put it out there, they'll say, I can't believe this just happened. And you're like, oh god, now I know that that happened. Okay, maybe it's my fault I'm not completely caught up, but it still shouldn't be put out there. I've known every... Without even seeking it out myself, I've known within probably two hours of the episode airing something about that episode from someone on Facebook or Twitter or someone on the internet without putting a spoiler cap puts that information out there and it somehow finds me. Either it's a picture, either it's a list of characters. could be a random line from the show that, oh, I can't believe it. Like, like, I know every episode of... I'm only in the middle of Season 7 right now, and I know plot points from every episode of Season 8 so far. But does it ruin the episode for me? No. I'm still going to watch it, but I know this is coming. And I think this, it kind of follows the same vein. People need to put information out there. We saw that even when people found leaked footage or early episodes, people seek that information out. People need to know what's coming, and they'll just want to consume that information. And I could easily put... And that's how fake fake news, I know, is a troubles topic, but it's kind of a point there. People can put out fake news or false stories... And all it needs is just to catch a little interest and then spread. And then it goes, it blows up, and then it goes away. And then we move on. Like, do I care about a spoiler from two weeks ago? No, because there's been two more things since then. In this age of constant information, we can't avoid this little stuff. So, I have another thing before I want to get out of here, because I don't think it's been a super long episode, but it's it's getting about my normal time. But there's one other thing I want to talk about before I get out of here, and that is an opinion article I found from the Daily Hampshire Gazette, and it's called The 24-Hour News Cycle is the Enemy of Democracy, which is, I can say, how I find information, that was an eye-catching title. So I know you're not supposed to judge a book by the cover or judge an article by its headline, but that got me enough to at least read it. So the great American, the great American curmudgeon H.L. Mencken once quipped, a newspaper is a device for making the ignorant more ignorant and the crazy crazier. But to update it to our times, we'd have to take out newspaper and plug in the 24-hour news cycle. It works, doesn't it? In fact, in our age of 24-hour news cycles and instantaneous bloviating via social media, newspapers are one of the sources of sanity in our even crazier world. This occurred to me in the aftermath of the great anticlimax known as the Mueller Report. The media has breathlessly reported not only all the genuine scoops and news stories that have fallen like so much ash from a conflagration, but also this sense of some impending cataclysm. Ah, those heady days of P-tapes and porn star payoffs. It did so seem like it all had come crashing down, didn't it? Yet so much of what we have obsessed over was filler. Sawdust in the hot dog. Slow rolling coups. Remember that? Trump's ascendance was all supposed to be a Kremlin plot, but it turns out we are still the keystone cops when it comes to politics. The media did report solid news. 
but it was the cable channels that led us to believe what it all meant. The end of Trump, and they were dead wrong. We can rely on the mainstream media to report what is happening. We cannot, however, let them tell us what it means. So now might be a good time to go back to remembering that while the fourth estate is an essential part of our democracy, it is not and not the enemy of the people, the 24-hour news cycle is the enemy of democracy. It is the enemy of the thoughtfulness required of citizens to make a republic function. Frankly, I think cable news networks particularly went so overward concocting impeachable offenses, almost to the point of hystericizing... Hystericizing? Hysterical reporting? I don't know. Hysterizing the news. Because they gave Trump such a pastor in the 2016 election, and once elected tried to make up for it retroactively by hyperactively reporting every salacious detail, moronic malaprops, or outright demagoguery. Remember Confifi, everyone, that's a another point there. So let us now reaffirm that MSNBC, CNN, Jim Acosta, Rachel Maddow, Bill Mayer, Bill Maher, and Stephen Colbert, and others are not part of the resistance. They are network and media entertainers who live or die based on ratings. Confusing their media-slash-corporate role with resistance is to liberals what the right-wing media has done with Trump mistaking the media celebrity for a political messiah. The mainstream media cable news helped lead us to a war in Iraq under false intelligence. They are parroting the administration's line of Venezuela as they did the Reagan administration line on Central America in the 1980s. Now watch them, especially the New York Times, undermine the Green New Deal with their chicken little warnings, and they're knocking the alarming leftward drift of the Democratic Party as they desperately try to get the liberal rank and file behind some centrist in 2020. But it's not all their fault. I am like uh, Pogo. Mostly the answer is, we have met the enemy and it is us. The reason we be so dab- dazzled by the baubles of scandal and gossip the media offers is that we live in the age of the bloviator. As a nation, we seem to have substituted thoughtfulness for moral outrage, and yet the quick-draw moral outrage is the signature Trump tactic going all the way back to the 80s when Trump took out a full-page ad demanding the deaths of the teenagers framed for the Central Park jogger assault. And now we know moral outrage is not enough to remove a president who generally outrages our moral sensibilities. We, Who knew politics was so complicated? Yet the more we rush or let ourselves be stampeded toward moral outrage, the more we ape Trump's own tactics. Moral outrage, it turns out, is not the new gold standard by which we judge political events or even people. Moral outrage is now just a debased alloy, the byproduct of industrial-level opinionating mass produced by Twitter and Facebook. It is effluvia, the toxic sludge left over at as, a coal, at a, as, a, as at a coal mine or slaughterhouse. Social media is not where we go to get informed, nor inform others. It is where we go to get further informed or ill-informed on the complex issues of the day. Social media is where we go to get triggered into a quick-draw judgment without thoughtfulness. The affliction lays low on both the left and right. It is the disease eating away the last remnants of our republic. It is not a right-ring malaise. We no longer communicate, we bloviate. And the more we do, the more we normalize Trump. The talking heads of cable news and the insatiable 24-hour news cycle let us down a cul-de-sac on Trump and Russia gate. We cannot remember gate again. This is the same. comes up again. We cannot let them lead us by the nose into 2020. Building part of the answer in your hands, the rest of the answer just ain't on TV. So, it is an opinion article. I don't agree with 100% of that. But it does make some valid points that we are quick to judgment. We are easily triggered on both sides we find something that upsets us and we're off like i said it, all it takes is a spark to set a fire that will just go out and spread and spread and spread and then it'll eventually go out and then we go on to the next thing because there's always a fire right behind the fire that started and i think that's something we have to be mindful of 
I've said this from the beginning. I'm not here to spread fake news. I'm just here to put some information out there and for you to keep, to take what I find and dig more. I'm here to learn something. You're listening to this because hopefully you want to learn something. You shouldn't take what I say as gospel. You shouldn't take any article that I've shared. You shouldn't take any article that you find yourself as gospel. You should take it as a piece and determine if that piece is worth believing, worth spreading. Like, I'm not going to use the Fox News thing like, we report you to side. But fundamentally, that is what you need to do with everything that you're approached with. You're seeing something. You have to choose to believe that as fact and to dig to find out if that is indeed what you think it is. You can't just assume that, okay, that's fine, let's move forward. But in an age where you can scroll through your news feed on Twitter and Facebook and see five different articles reporting five different events differently, or the same event differently, I don't know, it just seems like we're, so much is thrown at us, you have to dig through the noise and the sensationalism to find the true news that's worth reporting. Or not worth reporting, but worth digging into. And I, I think that's where we're going to end this episode, because I really can't think of where to go from here. I feel like I've, got to, I've been on some downer episodes lately, so I'm going to try and uh, find a livelier, funner topic for next week. And I know I keep saying I need to talk about the Mueller report. I'm honestly, I don't think I'm going to get into it. One of these days I will have the time, but my work week is what it is, and finding the time to read through a 400-page document is never going to be in the cards for me. Maybe once things calm down, I will, but I feel like by that point, like all news that comes our way these days, it'll be a distant memory, and not no one's going to care at that point. But you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. you got to know that there's always an end to something, and there's more out there than just what we're seeing right now. So... Just keep finding your sources, keep seeking out the truth wherever you can, and just try and enjoy life. Don't let the news and the events of what you're seeing put you in a negative space. You've got to find the light somewhere, and I think that's where the show should go. So, for Poor360 for this week, I am Andrew Poor. You guys have a great week. Stay happy, stay healthy, and just keep seeking out the truth in the news. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others.